Hi, this is Adam Waitman from Snake Charmer and Ozzy Osbourne's band. You're listening to Focus on Metal. Focus on Metal! Hey, Metalheads, and welcome to yet another week of Focus on Metal. And unbelievably, not on the phone, but live in person in the studio is uh, my buddy Richie. How we doing, man? I'm okay. I just hope we don't get caught down here. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, What stays in the studio, you know, just stays in the studio. Anyways, uh, hell, it's uh, it's November. It's Metal Month. We've got uh, all these concerts that everyone wants to go to on pre-sale uh you know i the question was out there you know uh maiden or uh or kiss and uh well i'm gonna do both so hopefully i'm not doing kiss making the making the grab hopefully by the time this one airs i'll have i'll have made the grab for uh some more maiden tickets because yeah definitely the girlfriend was like oh hell yeah i want to definitely go see maiden again and uh you know we did look at uh what um ozzy megadeth uh the, the no more tours second leg but to do like mohegan with a hotel room, with everything else, we're looking at like a grand for the weekend. And I'm like, ah, It's a no. better support. Um, as you got Stone Sour, I'd much prefer yeah. to see Megadeth. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm with you on that. But I'm just like, when you look at all that, I'm like, you know what? That's that's a real expensive expensive weekend with everything else. So it's I'm a like, Saturday, yeah. I believe, isn't it? It is a Saturday. Okay. Yeah. That's the only saving grace. Uh, yeah. You might drive, what is it, an hour, an hour and a half from here? Yeah, it's, it's a drive. Bad. I mean, remember, you got to go to Connecticut, 84, and uh, Connecticut State is waiting for you. Yeah, it's Connecticut's a, in the way between Massachusetts and uh, and New York. You should just get it out of the way so it's just New York. Every time someone says down. 84, I'm like, ugh, I hate that road. <laughs> I just hate it. It's so boring, and you just you can't speed. You're going to get nailed. So uh, you just have to plot along. And so it, it's long. And I was looking, even like... Like the day that they announced those dates, the hotel rooms had already popped up to like, like I think the low end was like 350 and that was on booking.com. So I can't imagine what they are if you just try to go regular. It's like, holy crap. Wow. So you add that, you add the tickets, you add having to eat, you know, not even including drinks. You're already, you're already up there for a grand. Yeah, I think, is he playing in Maine? He is, Bangor. So, yeah, well, that's, that's another three hours north of here. It is, it? but at and least then, there the I could probably, probably be like... I could probably ask my daughter if I could stay at her place. <laughs> and then she'd be like, oh, you finally got your ass up here. So anyways, uh, yeah, good guest this week. And, you know, the whole time I was editing up your, your chat with him, uh, I was like, this is just really bizarre that you're going to listen to Focus on Metal and hear Chris Aiken coming out of the speakers. It's just, it was, it was kind of surreal to me. Well, a bit of backstory. Um, you'll hear it in the interview. I've been a fan of the CMS Classic Metal Show uh, before I even moved here, and I'm living here eight years. Mm. So I've been a CMS fan for over 10 years. And um, because I just love the style that Chris and, and, and Neely have on the show, they're brutally honest, um, which is yeah. refreshing. Yeah. That, you know, they don't, they don't kiss ass a lot. Right. They're, not, they're definitely not politically correct, <laughs> um, which I like. Um, I don't like everything to do on the show, but I, I you know, the sh- I think the show is is, is really really good. Um, so to I've, I actually spoke to Chris and Neely years ago. I actually called into the show from Ireland about uh, I think it was Blackie Lawless, 
And um, I, I've spoken once or twice since then. To, to I used to call in. This is before I even did Focus on Metal. Yeah. And uh, when Chris Aiken left the show about oof, probably six, seven years ago, maybe, he left the show for a while. So Neely kept doing the show on his own. Yeah. And um, he just kept playing music. And then he'd get right. the odd phone call. And what I used to love about the show was hearing the discussion yeah, bits. right. So I started sending in Neely an email with a few topics on it. Uh-huh. Much like I did yeah. with you before we, I did the show yeah. with you. Um, and Neely answered him. Yeah. And he kept answering him. So every time I'd send it in, he'd answer. It ended up I had a bumper on the <laughs> classic metal show. And I was known as Irish Richard. Yeah. And they had the Tin Lizzy music with my name and, and <laughs> some clips of me talking. Uh, uh, and um, so when I, when, I, when I hit up Chris, yeah. um, he knew who I was. Um, I hadn't, like, he, he knew who I was, but I, I, like, I hadn't spoken to him in years. And it was only infrequent anyway. But, but um, you know, he's done some great books, uh, these cause and effect books. He did one on the Black Album yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. And then he did one on the Motley Crue album. And looking back now, I should have had him on for that because I'm such a big fan of that record. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people don't realize that the dude writes books. Yeah, oh, he's done other books as you well know? about his life. Yeah. Um, but he's done a lot of album reviews. He had a, a, a website, Pit Riff. He did a lot of reviews on that. He's yeah. had stuff published in magazines. Um, he's done commercial radio. Um, you know, he... A lot of people they might they might like his style. He can right. be very upfront, sure, yeah. which which is I like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when he did, when I found out he was doing the Turbo book, I yeah. figured uh, I'll ask him on. Uh-huh. And part of me was uh, I was a little bit nervous actually talking <laughs> to him <laughs> because um, you hear about him on the sh- you know he's got this certain style on the show, and. Um, for some of the things they've actually suggested on the show when it comes to interviewing and that, um, I've taken that on board. Um, one of the things they've always said is you should never ask it, what was this like question. Yeah. Right. And I I don't think I've ever asked that in doing any interviews in the six years I'm on the show because you're just going to get, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to, so I, I, I'd rather ask the more difficult questions. Some once it was or twi- greater. I don't remember. Yeah, once or <laughs> twice, it's gotten me in a bit of trouble with a publicist. But I, I, I don't want to really ask the the stock questions. You got to. Sometimes you have to ask one or two of them. You're, sure. you're obligated to do it. Yeah. But I try and go somewhere else with a lot of the artists on the show, um, and a lot. The reason I do that, a lot of reasons I do that, is because I've been listening to the CMS, mm-hmm. and they're they do really they do good interviews. Yeah. Um, they're well respected. Um, they get coverage on the likes of Blabbermouth because they they won't ask right. the standard questions. Yeah. Um, so to, to actually talk to Chris was great. Plus, the book was on Turbo, and when Turbo came out in '86, it was my first Judas Priest record. Uh-huh. So, like a lot of albums in that time period, I'm a huge fan. They have an emotional attachment to me. Sure. A lot of people might say, like, "How the fuck can you t- think that album is great?" And I'm like, "Well." You know, you got into Iron Maiden when Peace of Mind came out. Right. I didn't. Right. I got into Iron Maiden when Somewhere in Time came out. True. And, so and I, that's just, you know, that's the, you know, if you're going to ask, you know, ask my girlfriend her favorite Priest album, she's going to say Turbo. That's, I asked, actually, even last weekend, I was looking, I'm like, 
I know I got the anniversary edition. It was in my car. It's got to be in all these CDs. And I can't find the damn thing. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Stolen. So I probably, I, I was like, yeah, do you have it? And she's like, no. And then I end up, so I, I, I ran the anniversary one of Defenders instead. But it was like, yeah, it, it's the same thing. So it kind of resonated with me, you know, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, doing the interview stuff, editing all that up and thinking back. And we had conversations about it and stuff. And certain songs I did have to go back and go back and see, like, yeah, yeah, you know what? That that actually was a pretty cool song. And that was a pretty cool song. And, and actually be able, was able to, to revisit it again because I think I was like a lot of other people where I wasn't a big fan of the synthesized guitar stuff that was on there uh, just because being a guitar player, I just, well, for two reasons. One, because I... You know, I like the live guitar, but two, because it, you know, what was available to to the average guitar player at that point in time to replicate that was extremely expensive, or you got shit. So you know, you couldn't, you just couldn't get that sound. So you got very frustrated because it's like, God damn it, you know, you just you you know you can do it, but and I can remember going up to up to Nashua, you know, Daddy's Junkie Music, and. uh you know, the, you could go in there, and, and the, the manager Matt would let us do play anything on the store. You know, probably the most expensive guitar piece of didn't matter. He let us play everything because we were always up there, and uh, we were a little bit older than most of the people that were going in there. And you know, he had a huge. They had a huge synth setup up there with the Roland synth guitar, the whole thing. And that was about the only place you could go and actually go up and kind of imitate anything off a of turbo was there. So you kind of got a little taste of it, but it actually made it more frustrated because you, you could literally see how expensive it was going to be, you know, to hit your bank account to actually get that sound that KK and Glenn were getting. Yeah. But turbo to me, it's not my favorite priest record. My yeah. favorite priest record is, is screaming for vengeance. Screaming, yeah. But I love turbo as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just that time period. Is that, that, Two or three year time period between eighty six and say eighty nine. Uh huh. There's certain al- bands that came out with albums. Yeah, well, that era. was your that was your prime, you know, music discovery. Exactly. I, I can't I can't help it yeah. when I got into metal. Right. You know, I can't. Yeah, exactly. I didn't get into metal in eighty two yeah. or eighty three. I got into metal in eighty six. Yep. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's better late than never. Yep. No, I think it was good. You guys, you know, really brought that out in the interview as well. And it, I mean, it is a valid point. It is. A lot of it has to do with when you decided to dis- discover it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it wasn't an absolute horrible period to to uh, discover it. Just a little bit more technicolor than other years. That's all. <laughs> mm. The interesting thing of a priest um, for that album, uh, they did what Def Leppard did. They never played any shows in the UK. Yeah. So you have another English band touring everywhere else in the world, spending all these all these months in the US, yep. and they, they never played their home country, yep. Yep. which was really odd at the time. It's like, you know, you're, you're all from England, lads. You know, do you not want to play at home? Right, yeah. But I think, too, that, you know, I think you guys had some good discussion about that. and, and Yeah. Some, not that it's, you know, right, but at least having some rationale behind probably why that decision was made, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, for me, kind of being North American-centric, I don't even really think about that. But, you know, you're over there going, what the hell? Yeah, well, know? they were, Judas Priest were never on the radio yeah. when I grew, grew up. Never. Like the, the, if you're a hard rock band at the time or a metal band on the radio, yeah. you'd Bon Jovi, uh-huh. you'd Europe, uh-huh. and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so you the final countdown, anything off Slippery When Wet. Yeah. Um, hardly anything from ACDC. 
over here they're on every third song hardly anything from Zeppelin yeah all the 70s stuff was it was all new wave yeah well this I mean yeah the Zeppelin stuff I can definitely see for for UK because Zeppelin purposely Peter Grant never released wouldn't allow them to release singles mm. so how do you get radio play with you don't release singles they 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 actually did release singles here mm-hmm. so you have some of that but other than Tommy Vance on BBC which yeah. was the, the big radio station right. at the time uh, he had the Friday Night Rock Show, which is where I first heard um, One. He played it. Uh, he played Metallica's One on it. I'd never hear that anywhere else. That yeah. was in, what, 88? And um, so he's, he was hugely influential for, for a lot of rock and metal guys, yeah. especially in England. But you had the pirate radio stations. Right. right. Um, but, again, they mightn't play a lot of metal. They might play a lot of indie kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of, you know... I used to think that, you know, kind of being jealous of the, you know, like San Antonio had a good radio scene and uh, Dallas did to a degree, still kind of does. San Francisco did. We really didn't hear, you know, so with my metal show, it was originally, it was Monday, Monday drive time. And then it was Saturday afternoon. Uh, just couldn't get it, you know, anywhere else. And then like, you know, BCN had theirs and he used to run his like on Sunday around noon it, it you didn't have a, a ton of it and but then you know i i read in you know the books talking to you and stuff and think holy crap I, you know i'm i'm pissing and moaning about it here and you you guys didn't have anything to hang your hats no, on nothing and the fact that i mean primarily all that radio was all government controlled too at least here it was like if someone had the balls they could have programmed whatever they wanted to but uh you know there you, you all, yeah all you had was you know like radio caroline and stuff is the that kind of the voice of the opposition. Yeah, but the only the guy who was really out there and, and he, he was successful playing whatever the fuck he wanted was uh, was John Peel. Right. Um, there weren't really many more people that that did what John Peel did. Um, if he liked the record, he played it. Right. He didn't give a shit whether it was uh, commercially successful or not. The problem back then in England is a lot of the, the people that were on top of the pops, uh-huh. they were DJs. Yeah. So they were going to play the stuff that was on top of the pops. Right. Um, they had the prime time slots on radio. If there was any metal on at all, it was at like 11 o'clock uh-huh. at night until 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. And then again, top of the pops, it's BBC. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. still all one giant uh, entertainment monopoly. Yeah, well, know? over there, it was um, in the 80s. When I grew up, I had only four TV channels. And then there was like the BBC One and Two, and then you had like Channel Four and UTV. So England, the UK didn't have that many channels either. And then when satellite broke in, uh, I think it was in 88, uh, we got Sky. Yeah. Um, And a lot of the UK didn't get Sky. So that's when we got the Monsters of Rock show with Mick Mm. Wall. I think it was in 87 or 88. Um, So we were able to see the videos. Yeah. Um, Some of the videos were fucking dreadful. um, (laughs) Looking back on them now. But um, they were like, bootleg videos and stuff like that. Yeah. They, they had a video on it, um, Slayer's Hell Awaits, uh-huh. and you couldn't hear anything. <laughs> and every second or third week, they'd play this video, and of course, my dad would walk in and say, look at look at it and hear it and say, how the fuck can you like that shit? You can't understand what he's saying. And for a while, I, I thought, you know, oh, the Slayer, they're a load of shit. Yeah. And then I put on Rain and Blood, and you could hear every single word uh-huh. Tom Araya said on the record. Yeah. And I went, is that the same band? Because I'm relating it to the video where he can't fucking hear anything he's saying. <laughs> so you, you were dealing with that back then. And, um, but yeah, it was just the, 
you didn't have the channels on TV, so you didn't have the videos. Right. You didn't have the radio playing it. Um, and then Judas Priest did what a lot of bands did. They were like, where's MTV? It's in America. Yeah. Where's our audience? It's in America. Right. What do we have to do to conform to that? We got to do up sure. the hair. We got to spice up the letters that we're wearing and all that shit. And they went yeah. ahead and did it. And yeah. they were successful at it. Like oh, yeah. some of those songs on that Toro album were big, big hits. And I don't care what anybody says. I still think that fucking Turbo Lover is fucking great in their set now. Yeah. Brilliant song. And, you know, I can remember, you know, uh, you know, those shows around here, they would sell out like instantly. You know, we had uh, we had one singer, female singer for a while, and she was a huge Priest fan. And that was like our highlight of that year. She just couldn't stop talking about it for weeks. Mm. Was, you know, seeing Halford and, you know, it was just like on and on. And, uh, yeah, they were just, they were they were massive here. Mm. Absolutely. I think that Priest Live album is brilliant. Mm. Um, the cover is still shit, which I said to KK <laughs> when I interviewed him. It's one of the worst album covers of all time. Uh-huh. But, um yeah, let's put brown on top of brown. Yeah, yeah that'll work. <laughs> when, when you talk about the music on it, it's stellar. And it's come out since on, uh, I think it came out on VHS at the time. It's out on DVD now, that tour. Yeah. And the stage the stage set's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, I would have loved them to see that. But, uh, you know, they, they decided to stay over here. Yep. And live here. So and yeah. I think they recorded the album in, uh, was it the Bahamas? Yeah, I think that's where they were doing it. Yeah. So if you can, you know. Nice for some people if you can get away with yeah. doing that. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, yeah, like I said, it was a great interview you did with Chris. And again, it's still it is bizarre to be like listening to Chris Aiken's voice on. Uh, and I don't know why because it's you know we you know I've had Bob on a couple times and uh, we've had uh, Shiachi on and uh, who else we had on is uh, well we've had. Uh, uh, Victor, have Victor. I'm like trying to think. Mm-hmm. Who's the dude? Yeah, we've had Victor on, and and uh, it, it's just I don't know why, but with all those people, for some reason, if I don't know if it's the that's the tonality of Chris's voice or what it is, but it's just bizarre to hear him on on uh, focus on metal. Mm, it wasn't really. <laughs> I'd spoken to him before. I know it had been a while, but yeah, you know, and I knew I kind of knew what to expect from him when I interviewed him as well. But you know, he he's a fan of the Turbo Record, so am I. Yeah. Um, I think even if he hated the album, I still would have done the interview. Yeah. Well, the books are a good concept, too. And I know you guys touched a little bit on it to kind of set the tone of, of what the intent was. But just that whole concept is pretty cool, too. And, and, you know, here's what I think of the album. This is the time frame it came out. This is what was going on with me then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's just a different way of looking at it. And I think that anybody that, you know, like yourself, you can be you can drop yourself right into that time frame. Um, and... Uh, and really, you know, know what the hell was going on. I mean, for me, that was like, yeah, it was like last year of college for me. So, you know, a little bit different. And, you know, you, it's kind of, a, I think, a different time frame. you got a, some different set of shit going on. So for me, it's more of a, more of a, a you know, college band-based kind of a deal. But uh, it is good as a way of just kind of focusing in on exactly what the time frame and, you know, kind of popping it into your life. So it would be interesting to see if somebody else who's, you know, an 18-year-old kid now today who's a Priest fan and, and gets that book, how they would relate to that book as mm. opposed to you and I. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the differences I think with a lot, maybe a lot of the interviews Chris is doing is uh, I think a lot of people interviewing are probably from the U.S. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming from the European right. angle, yep. which is a little bit different for yep. him. Um, but, yeah, we'll be in – the, book, the books themselves, they're not that long. Like right. they're not like a two hundred and fifty page thing. They're like about more or less around a hundred, hundred yeah. pages or so. 
so they're pretty, they're, you know, they're, they're an easy read. Right. Um, you know, he gives his opinions on the albums. Um, you know, he does, he, I, I've read this one. He does, he, he gives a good rundown of the album. He goes through it song by song. Yeah. Um, starts off in the beginning about telling us a little bit about the environment that the album came out in. Yeah. And he shares his thoughts on it and we go back and forth about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I said, great chat with him. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think just to remind everybody that uh, before we dive into Richie's chat with uh, Chris Aiken, just to uh, remind you that uh, the book actually comes out this Friday. So if you want, you can uh, you can head up to the website and uh, still get your last few pre-orders in. But otherwise, yeah, I'll be looking for that to be hitting the streets pretty much right after you hear this one. So what do you say we uh, we dive into the talk with Chris? Yeah, sure. Hey Chris, it's Richie from Focus on Metal. How are you, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. So you're, you're good. Yeah. So um, I'm still a big CMS fan, by the way. Excellent. <laughs> Always good, man. Because otherwise, I I know I can be abrasive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm well aware of what you've been like on the show now and in the past. So, <laughs> and um, one of the great things is you haven't actually picked my show and pulled it apart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. I don't think I don't think Neely would let me even if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm not going to keep you all day. So, okay. um, I have read the book, really enjoyed okay. it. Um, Great, thank. But one of the things I want to start with, uh, we both interviewed KK Downing um, mm -hmm. for his book, and what what did you think of the book after you finished it? Did you really enjoy it? Uh, it's okay. I, I, I don't want to say that it was like the greatest book of all time or anything like that, but it, it, it was, it was okay. I mean, I, I think I've said this, you know, on the show, but I, I really wish he wouldn't have thrown so much dirt out there. And I, and I don't think he was doing it maliciously, but I, I, you know, Judas Priest was always one of those bands that was not like a TMZ band or not a, you know, they didn't air their dirty laundry and you know, it, they're one of those bands that I wouldn't have been upset if they just kind of left it, left it that way. And it just seems like KK was sharing a lot more than, than maybe he should have. Um, you know, that being said, he does have some sour grapes about the guys. So he's putting it all out there. So it's okay. I mean, it was interesting. Um, but you know, it was what it was not, not the best book, not the worst. Um, it was just a, a good read, I guess. Yeah. I'm fine. What I'm finding is, uh, the likes of Blabbermouth and all those sites, they're, they're, they're picking up on the uh, 
on the relationship side with, with Glenn and, and the band in the end, they're not actually focusing on any of the rest of the book, really. They're just sensationalizing right. all, all of that. Mm-hmm. No, they are. And, and, and the, they're picking, you know, even, I mean, they, they featured my interview on, on Blabbermouth and they, they picked one little piece and, and you know, whatever. Hey, I'm, I'm thrilled that we get the the press with Blabbermouth, you know, cause it's, you know, it's fine. But, but I mean, they picked the one little piece, the, the, the one that they picked up with us was the, um, he said that he was disappointed that they picked a guy that looked like him, that, that Richie Faulkner just looked like KK. Mm. And, and I mean, I did 30, 35 minutes or whatever with KK and that's the piece that they picked up. And he, he did talk about a lot of other stuff that, you know, I thought was interesting, but you know, it is what it is, you know, um, that'll get more clicks than him talking about how much he enjoyed recording turbo or whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's what Blabbermouth's job is, is to keep people coming and keep the traffic up and keep selling ads and whatnot. And, I don't, I don't blame them for it, but you know, at the same time, I, I do agree with you that, that the media in general is definitely picking the, picking apart very little pieces of a very much bigger book. Yeah. Well, normally what, what I'll do when I submit stuff to the likes of Blabbermouth and that, cause it, some of the sites have asked me, they, they want quotes. So you put in your quotes and then you give them the link to the interview and all that. And, Mm-hmm. The, the quote they picked up or the thing they picked up on my interview was uh, Scott Travis was the only one to contact him to say anything after he left right. I actually didn't say put that in as any of the quotes one of the quotes I put in I thought that would have been different for them to pick up on was uh, I talked to him uh, a lot about Ripper and um, right. I, I asked him you know, about the 50th anniversary tour did he think that Ripper should in, on certain dates, get up and sing some of that that song, the songs that he did from that era, because they don't do any of them now. And KK, right. KK said that he'd pay to go and see that. And of course, Blabbermouth picked up on Scott Travis. Was, right. Yeah. And uh, and you look on the likes of Blabbermouth every day, and it's like, oh, you know, all the comments. They're all commenting on, you know, oh, KK's shitting on the band all the time. And right. I, I was just a little bit disappointed with the sites doing doing that well you know it's a weird thing because we as you know i'm I'm not sure how old you are i'm i'm 50 and 47 chris okay so you're right in the you're right in the same zone we Mm -hmm. grew up you know these guys were heroes you know in a way i mean not not like you know like a father or something but they were our heroes and in today's world every everybody's just a piece of shit and, you know, so in today's world, media just goes out there to say, yeah, see, he's a piece of shit, too. You know, and that's really what happens in the media these days is that it, it, there is no there's no respect of the past. There's no respect of these guys have done great things. It's really OK. You already know about the great things. So now we're going to tell you all the dirty stuff that maybe you didn't know before. And it, it, it's sad because. I, I, I honestly believe it's one of the reasons that there are no bands out there that are as big as, you know, what we grew up with. And I don't only mean Jesus Priest. I'm talking about Rolling Stones or The Who or The Beatles or Metallica or whatever. Mm. You know, name a band that came out in 2000 on that's even remotely that close. There's really nothing. No, there's, and, there's nothing. But, and it's in large part, one, you know, kids don't buy music, so they don't worship it that way. 
but two, they don't have respect for the artists or, you know, they don't have the respect that we had for the artists. When we were growing up, you would get a record. And I mean, it was an event. It was an event to go to the store and pick it up and play it while you were reading the credits. And, you know, you'd be with your friends and you'd open it up and you'd, they'd pull, you'd be like, Hey, didn't this guy also work on that quiet riot record? And you'd go and pull that record and see if it was the same guy. And, you know, it, it, it was much more, it was much more about the art and it was much more, you know, interesting in a worship kind of way. And that is just gone in today's media. Definitely. The, 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 loyal, the, lo- the loyalty is gone. With all, mm-hmm. Even with all the younger bands you look at now, and I know you've talked about it on the show, there's no arena bands coming up. They're all, there's no, they're all gone. Yeah, they're they're done. I mean, the, the, I mean, who would be the arena bands now? Avenged Sevenfold, maybe. Yeah, but how old you know, are they? They're 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 nearly twenty years old, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as new newer acts, what Greta Van Fleet, and they're only playing big clubs, and mm-hmm. and really they're not even that original. They're just you know scamming the Zeppelin thing somewhat and putting their own spin on it. But yeah, there's nothing. You know, the only thing that's big. There's nothing in rock that's that big, you know. So, yeah, it's it's a sad state of affairs with the way it is these days. And as we keep seeing, these bands are slowly but surely going away. And, you know, once they're gone, I don't know what the generation, you know, the, the current generation is going to look at when they're 35, 40 years old. You know, it, it's it's all one-hit wonder nonsense. And, Maybe. you know, it, it's, it's going to be sad for them because they're not going to have they're not going to have the connection to music and the fun times and all that, that we did with it. It's just now just another, you know, it's another thing and it's, it's just not as valuable to them. Yeah. It's, it's, I think maybe the holograms (laughs) are going to take over. You know what? It wouldn't shock me at all. And, And these kids these days, they're so down with their phones and their, their computers and their tablets and whatnot, that it wouldn't shock me at all that, that they, the kids today, I, I, I mean, for take rock out of it for a minute. If today's kid could go and see a Tupac hologram show or an actual show where bands play instruments, they would take that hologram show in a minute. You know, they're, they're just not tied to anything anymore. There's no, they don't care about the characters. They just care about, oh, that sounds cool. And, you know, if they could see that just for a minute, they'd be happy with that. Yeah, it's just the instant gratification they all want now. They don't want an album to grow on them, or have, or haven't. They don't want to do the effort to actually get no, to know not, the band. Yeah, dude, I have nieces that are um, college age, and my and my my kids are in their mid twenties to late twenties, and you know, just just with them, they don't even own albums. None of them. <laughs> you know, they don't they don't know what an album. I mean, they know what it is, but they don't know to buy an album. And I I know my one niece is very into music. She's, she's always getting, you know, iTunes cards are kind of like the standard birthday present, Christmas present thing for her, but she'll never buy an album. She'll buy this single or that single or whatnot. And then a year later, she'll have deleted that off her phone already because she's already bored with it. It's, it's so different. And meanwhile, I have albums in boxes that, you know, I haven't played in 30 years, but I've, I can't get rid of them just because, you know, I remember the day that I bought them in 1986 at, uh, you know, camping out overnight until the record store opened so that I could get that 
I don't know, Van Halen 5150 on vinyl or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, I did all that myself, Chris. So Sure. So let's get it let's get into the uh the Turbo the Cause and Effect book. Um sure. when you did the list of albums you were going to do, uh mm-hmm. where was Turbo on that list because you've done one on Metallica and you've done one on mm-hmm. Motley Crue. Right. So was Turbo was yeah, Turbo was definitely up there. I, I had five that I wanted to do from the start, and now there's others that I'm that I'm thinking about. But the the, the big five that I had thought that I was going to do when I started writing these was the Metallica, Motley Crue, uh, Judas Priest, Turbo, Megadeth, Risk, which is the next one I'm going to do, and um, Nine Inch Nails, The Fragile. Those are the those are the five that I, that I had outlined originally, and. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those concepts that I think you can do for a long time because, you know, and, and for people that don't know, the concept behind it is not necessarily that these are my favorite albums or anything by these bands, but that they are they're albums that changed something dramatically within the band's history, whether it was their fan base, you know, splintering, as in the case of Turbo or like with the Metallica book, um, you know, it was about rock radio itself changed how it was programmed. You know, they did the black album. If it did nothing else, it made rock radio a whole lot heavier than it had ever been before. So, you know, I, I tried to pick albums that I thought were, were definitely, you know, moments in a, in bands time timeline that changed the way something happened you know, whether it's the fan base or the rock radio in that case, or like nine inch nails, one is going to be much more about studio stuff because it really changed how bands record music. So, you know, and and that's been the concept. And so far, you know, three books for three books in and people seem to enjoy them. So, you know, and I'm having fun writing them. Yeah. Are you taking the stance with the books you've written so far? Uh, Like you you definitely did on the turbo one that, uh, you think it's really good, and other people don't. And you're trying to yeah. prove you're trying to prove to the people that actually look, this is actually really good. Go back and listen to it again. Yeah, I, I, with, with Turbo, I, I never have understood why people hate it so bad. I mean, I understand it's not as heavy, and I certainly certainly kind of share a lot of people's thoughts about that. The synth guitar was, you know did not hold up well. I'll put it that way. I mean, back in 1986, I was, I loved it. Now I listen to it. I'm like, Oh boy, I'd like to hear this without all that synthesized nonsense in it. But, um, you know, I, I do think that I think people judge these records now against the rest of the catalog and you can't do turbo in particular. You just can't do that. You have to remember the timeline. You have to remember what was going on in 1986 when you had, you know, you were in in between Motley Crue's Theater of Pain and um, Girls, Girls, Girls. And you had Van Halen switching to a more party direction with 5150. And you had Ozzy with The Ultimate Sin, which was a much less heavy record and, you know, more radio driven. And, you know, hair metal was everywhere. And Judas Priest, as a band, were trying to, you know, stay in the limelight. They they were at a crossroads where they could either go heavier and be into that mix with, like, the, you know, the heavy bands of the time, the Anthrax and Metallica and Megadeth and whatnot, or they could go 
with the hair closer to the hair metal thing, which fit their music a little bit better. And, um, you know, and they did. And if you look at pictures, even from the, from that era, you see, they were, they were wearing the spandex and they were wearing the, you know, the leather went from black to red and it was all shiny. It looked like lover boy clothes, Mm. you know, but, but they, they were trying to adapt to that time period. And, you know, for me, I was 17 years old. So the fact that they weren't writing about, you know, spaceships and sci-fi and instead were writing about, you know, getting away from their parents and, you know, partying and sex and drugs and rock and roll. Well, that was right in my wheelhouse at 17 years old. So for me, it was a perfect record at the time. Yeah, I got into metal a little bit after you because you said in the book that your first priest albums were was uh, Defenders and then Point of mm-hmm. Entry and Screaming for Vengeance. So in 86 is when I started to get into metal. So for me, anything okay. in 86, I'm a huge fan of. And this album, sure. is, this album is one of them. Um, okay. This was my first experience of, of Judas Priest. Um, sure. And, but I want to compare this album a little bit to uh, Maiden Somewhere in Time, because that used synths as well. Yet that mm-hmm. didn't really get sh- sh- shit on as well as, uh, as much mm-hmm. as the Turbo album did. Um, you're right. Oh, you're, you're definitely right. Go ahead. Yeah, and I'm thinking... Was that a was that an image thing? Do you think that the you know the the image for priest in eighty six when they all glammed up? Iron Maiden didn't really do that, so they they weren't it was looked on. They were looked on differently. Yeah, I I, I think that's probably a part of it. Was that they did not change their image to meet it? And I mean, our Iron Maiden always looked like they they came out of an eighteen seventies castle. Hmm. You know, that was their look back in that day. And and they didn't change it, even though they used synth. And and to be honest, though, was somewhere in time, those songs they do have some synthesized parts in them. But but overall, you could compare that music to you know Power Slave right before it. You know, I think that was before it. Yeah. Um, you know, you can musically they were on the same path, which was right at the top of their of their game. I would argue that they went too far with it on the next record when they when they did the um what is that album um, Seventh Son of the Seventh Son when it when they did they changed the imagery a little bit on the record and you know the the cover art was all that light blue it was softer and it was you know all the songs were or a lot of the songs were a lot more a lot more syrupy you know I mean they still kept their message but you know, can I play with madness and seventh son of the seventh son? Those were a little bit cheesier by comparison. I think that's probably the more likely comparison than somewhere in time. But, you know, and, and I, but you're right though. Iron Maiden never did change their image. And I think that helped them. The, the old school fans didn't look at them and say, Oh, look at these sellout fags, you know? Yeah. Back in 86, Chris on MTV, um, I don't know about the US, so I'll ask you, but in, in Europe, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, they weren't really played. Um, mm-hmm. on, on MTV in America in 86, was, were Judas Priest played a lot more than Iron Maiden? Um, you know, it's hard for me to tell because I was in like boot camp and, and whatnot for about half of 86. Um, I, they, they played that Turbo Lover video a lot. I know that. I remember seeing that video like in the clubs when I got to Korea and whatnot. And, um, and, but the thing with, our, or with Judas Priest too was 
they weren't very good at video when video started. I mean, if you go back and you look at the videos that they did, whether it's Turbo Lover, which is not a great video, or um, I think Parental Guidance had a video that was just kind of there, or even a little bit older, like Free Will Burning. That's a it's a great song, but a terrible video. <laughs> you know, the, the the video of Free Will Burning is they basically took a pole position machine, the sit-in pole position video game. And they have Rob Halford standing on the top of it with lasers shooting around him. It's just the dumbest video. <laughs> and they just weren't very good at video. So I I don't remember seeing Judas Priest a whole lot on video. I remember seeing Iron Maiden a lot more with, you know, Run to the Hills and, and, and that type of stuff. Iron Maiden definitely had more of a, of a, um, a presence, I guess, on MTV. Yeah. Now, if, if Judas Priest said that they used the technology to grow the band organically, that it was there and they wanted to try something different rather than chasing, mm-hmm. chasing the trends at the time, you wouldn't believe them at all, would you? Uh, I, I, no, not really. I know, I know KK either said that to me or in his book. I don't remember which one. And, and, and I don't buy that. I, you know, I, I, I believe, I honestly believe that Turbo was the product of, of them, the business of Judas Priest stepping in instead of them just organically changing. I think, you know, and, and I've had dealings with their manager, that, who I think is still their manager, Jane Andrews, who was their manager back then. She's very business savvy. I mean, she, she guides that band to make business decisions. And the business, of heavy metal at that time I mean, it was big arena shows with all kinds of, you know, big antics going on on stage and anthemic songs to match. And if you look, I mean, if you look at that album and tour, you know, songs like private property or turbo lover or parental guidance or rock you all around the world. Every one of those songs you can envision in your head Rob Halford holding the microphone out to a crowd and the crowd singing back the chorus to him. Uh-huh. So those songs, I believe, were totally crafted for the live set. And then even their live set. I know I wrote about this in the book. The live set was, it wasn't just a stage where they got around and ran around. It had like this transformer monster that had these saws that picked up the guitar players and held him up over the stage and held Halford up when he was singing over the stage in some parts. And, you know, it was a, it was a big thing. And that was the time that was at the same time that Dio was slaying dragons on the stage and Motley Crue was having their drum riser do flips in the air and stuff. So they were totally trying to fit into the time. And, you know, I just think that Judas Priest was one of those bands that, really were not they weren't trendy enough to pull it off which i think is a probably another reason of why it didn't work they were they were considered much more of a metal band instead of just a a rock band a radio band and they were trying to be a radio band and keep their credibility with the metal people and it just didn't work yeah i think when you look at the the fuel for life tour the actual tour dates themselves um, they, they didn't do any UK shows. Uh, they spent four right. months in the States and only one month in Europe. So you knew, right. you knew what they were concentrating on at the time. It was, we have to break the American market and this is what we have to do to, to do it. 
Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. They, and, and again, you know, it, it's even to this day, you know, the, the Europe, the European market and the UK market as well are way more loyal. You know, the, the Judas priests from the time that they, you know, from probably British steel on have, have always been able to go and play the biggest festival and headline it. You know, they've always been able to play what Castle Donington or Download or whatever it's called today, mm-hmm. you know, Monsters of Rock and, um, you know, Vakken and all those things. They can, on a dime, they can go to these places and be the headliner always. And here in the States, it just wasn't like that for them. I mean, they were, they were certainly big in that, that era when you had, you know, especially coming off, you had British Steel and uh, Point of Entry Defenders of the Faith and Screaming for Vengeance, bang, 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 bang. Four huge records for this band. So by the time Turbo came out, they were as big as they were ever going to be. And, you know, unfortunately for them, Turbo took them back to the pack a little bit. Yeah, I've, I've got a lot of friends of big Judas Priest fans, and the argument mm-hmm. I always have with them is uh, I think that Ram It Down is actually more contrived than Turbo because right. you have three songs on it. One is called Heavy Metal. Another is called I'm a Rocker and Monsters of Rock. It's like they're apologizing yeah. for the album beforehand. <laughs> You're right. It's, you know, and, and I mean, the the story behind Ram It Down is that it's, you know, it was supposed to at least have almost half of it were songs that were written when they were going to do Turbo as a double record. And the label heard what they were working on. It was like, nah, we're not doing a double record. So the songs that they held over were kind of junk. You know, though they just weren't very good songs. They weren't good enough to make turbo. And then they just wrote around it and, you know, wrote some stuff to try and be a little heavier, but they also then, you know, were trying to make up for their screw up with um, top gun. They were supposed to have a song in top gun and they passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so then they tried to make up for that with that bad version of Johnny Be Good, which was just cheesy as all hell. So, you know, it, it's like they were trying to fix mistakes, but by trying to fix mistakes, they made more mistakes with Ram It Down. I, Ram It Down to me is an unlistenable record. I, I do not like that one at all. I bought that when it came out and I brought it home. And I think I listened to it once and threw it against the wall. I thought it was just rubbish. <laughs> it's terrible. I... I Every you know when I was writing this book, you know, because I did touch on on some of the songs that that were from the Turbo Sessions, and I went back and listened to to the whole record a couple times, and I was just like, man, this is just shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so not good. And, and Judas Priest is Judas Priest is one of my you know my favorite bands of all time are Pantera, Metallica, Judas Priest. They're they're my third favorite band ever. Mm-hmm. And for and, and yet they have two records that are just unlistenable to me. That one and um, Nostradamus. Yeah. So, you know. I'm with you on that. Um, if the Reckless song had got into Top Gun movie, and I know mm-hmm. this is revisionist history, you know, you know, it's not a question that's easy to answer, but do you think if that got, became popular, it would have changed fans' perception of the record because that's one of the heaviest songs on it, or they would have just hated the album anyway? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I wish, and there's no, I, I've looked everywhere for it when I was working on the book. I wish they had some kind of context 
of where they thought the song was going to be played so that I could kind of watch the movie and, and figure out how it was going to fit. Because if you think about the music that was in Top Gun, it, you know, it was all pop. It wasn't, you know, it really wasn't metal. Hmm. So I, I can't figure out how, how it would have played into, into the movie, you know? So I, I honestly don't think, I don't think it would have done, would have done very well. I, I just pulled up the Top Gun soundtrack right now. And I mean, the bands are Kenny Loggins, Cheap Trick, Tina Marie, Berlin, Miami Sound Machine, Loverboy, and then a bunch of instrumental stuff. It's like, where do you see where do you see Judas Priest fitting into that with a heavy song? I I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I think Kenny Loggins was picked because Judas Priest said no. I I, I don't know whether that's true, but someone told me that. Yeah, it could. I mean, maybe that would probably be because the song that he had was that song "Danger Zone," yeah, which is which is a pretty rocker with with a pretty rocking guitar riff, you know. But and maybe "Danger Zone" would have been reckless. I I don't know. I mean. I guess it might have worked. I mean, who knows? But I, I just, you look at the rest of that soundtrack and it's like, wow, you would have had a bunch of pop bands and Judas Priest. So who knows? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, again, it would be nice to know where it would have fit. But in the end, maybe it was better for them. Maybe it wasn't. You know, I, I try to believe that, you know, that whole era of Judas Priest and the mistakes that they made put the fire under their ass, which gave us painkiller, which is by far my favorite record that they've ever done. Um, you know, cause I like the heaviness of it. And then they followed with another heavy record with, with, um, Ripper with, with jugulator. Yeah. So, so if they did nothing else, doing the softer records pushed them really hard to, to go and make something heavy and menacing. And they did those two records very well. I thought. Yeah. Have you had a lot of friends over the years come back to you? and change their mind about the turbo record or the most of them still hate it. Uh, you know what? Most of them, it, it actually goes the other way with me. It's, it's friends that, you know, and, and I think it's just a product of age, but my friends that are, that are longtime metal people, they all hate it. They all think it's junk. And my friends that were like friends from high school or whatever. And, and I don't know why this is, but for whatever reason, people, my age seemingly, have given up on their heavy metal and now they're, you know, now they're into soft rock and, you know, your Bruce Springsteen type songwriter rock and stuff like that. They've all gotten married and had kids and like mellowed their musical taste. So they don't even want to hear about Judas Priest anymore. So, so, so Jim Bartek thinks Nostradamus is a masterpiece and Turbo is a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, not, he's an idiot. I mean, his music, <laughs> His musical taste is is pretty poor on a lot of occasions. I mean, I, I love Jim to death, but but Jim, you know, the way he celebrates Nostradamus, believe me, if he didn't meet Judas Priest because of his his longtime streak, he would by now be saying it's a piece of garbage. <laughs> but because he has so many good memories out of it is why he likes that record, I believe. Yeah. And but but Jim, he's one of those guys that if it came out after like 1982, he thinks it's garbage. So, you know, he, I, I don't hold a lot of weight to his musical taste. Yeah. So, so Chris, let, let, let everyone know where they can get the book. Uh, they can go to, um, Chris Aiken That's A K I N 
or um, it, it officially releases um, November 23rd, and it'll be anywhere that you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, any of those, I think Walmart, you know, on on their websites and whatnot. So just go to, the, go to their websites if you wait till the 23rd, and it will be there. And if you want an autographed one, get them now before the 23rd um, over at chrisakenbooks.com. Okay, and um, what's the next one? Are you going to do a risk next? Yeah, Risk is next. I, I mean, I have one that's going to come out in between. I, I mean, I don't only write musical books. And um, the next book that I'm going to finish and put out, you know, probably in about May is I've been right. And I've been working on this thing for three years. It's um, it's a book of my crazy stories running around and partying in Korea when I was in the service. Wow. So I'm And it's, it's a massive book. It's, it's probably 500 pages of just, <laughs> just wild. And I mean, they are wild. I'm, I'm going to tell your listeners now, if you are in any way offended by anything ever, do not buy this book. because it's, <laughs> it's very, it's very misogynistic and sexually oriented and dirty, but, <laughs> but it's a, it's a fun one that I can't wait to get out. And then after that, probably a year or so from now, I would think that, that I'll have risk ready to go, the cause and effect risk. Yeah, so so when are you going to do one on uh, Smoke This, Eye to Eye, or Generation Swine? Uh, <laughs> 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 well, I could. I mean, those actually, those actually, Eye to Eye is actually on my list of ones that I would probably do. You know, I, I, Scorpions is a weird one because there's a couple places that you could go with Scorpions. I, I, I mean, it's it's one legitimately that you could do, but I, so few people know that record that I, I, you know, most people just look right past it as an anomaly. But Scorpions, I, I've thought about doing either that one or um, or Blackout as actually the other one because Blackout is when they had that definitive change in sound from the older sound to the again to the to playing to MTV and the, you know, the catering off to that. So, and blackout is another one of those records that if you talk to a lot of you or a lot of Scorpions fans, they'll, they'll tell you right up. Oh, hate it. Hate everything after it. Hate that one and everything past it. And it's, you know, to me, I'll take that love at first sting. And, um, you know, a lot of those records, the one with the key on the cover, whatever that's called crazy world, mm -hmm. you know, I love those records, you know, and, but a lot of people don't. So yeah, my you know, my, my favorite Scorpions album is Savage Amusement, and I get killed because of it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, dude. It, it, but that, and, that, and that's what's fun about doing these kind of books is you can pick you can pick a band, any band that has had twenty, thirty years of longevity. You can find that record for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those. Somebody proposed to me the other day, and I hadn't really thought about it, but. um but doing one on Def Leppard and you know, you could do slang because that's so different musically, you know, or you could really do, I mean, you could really with Def Leppard, you could do, you know, hysteria monster, monster hit that sounded nothing like anything that they had established the band as previous. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, I, I mean, it's, there's definitely, there's definitely room to do any number of bands that have had, you know, a longer term history. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't know. I, I know the next one is risk because I've already kind of outlined what I want to write and some of the stories, some of the personal stories that I have surrounding that record. And, 
you know, for me personally, I got into radio like professionally because of risk, you know, because of a confrontation I had with Dave Mustaine as a guest on somebody else's radio show, which ended up getting me offered a gig on commercial radio. So, nice. you know, I, I, I have reasons to do risk. And, um, but after that, we'll see what happens, you know. Yeah. But there will be more. Okay. Good stuff, Chris. Well, I'll leave you go. I know you you got to get back to work. So it's been a pleasure talking okay. to you, by the way. Yeah, it's good to talk to you too, man. Yeah. And I'll, I'll keep listening. You keep doing the show with Neely and I'll always be there listening to you. Awesome, man. And send me a link when this is up so I can let all the CMSers know where, where they can hear it and whatnot. Yeah. Well, and I didn't ask the what was that like question. Because <laughs> you know I'd have killed you for it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris. Have a good rest of the day. All right, brother. Take okay. care. Bye. All right, man. Later. All right, Metalheads, that will do it for yet another week of Focus on Metal. And again, if you want to pick up your copy of Cause and Effect Turbo, you can head over to chrisakenbooks.com. And, you know, $9.99, pop that one down. Great book, great read, great band. What else can you ask for, right? And while you're up there, if you want, you can also get yourself a copy of Cause and Effect Motley Crew or the... Uh, some other great ones up there. Call Me Chris, A Tale of Healing, or Cause and Effect Metallica, or Little Victories. So uh, all kinds of books up there. And again, you can head over to chrisakenbooks.com. And uh, I, for one, am uh, impatiently waiting for the uh, the next non-band book that Chris is uh, going to put out because uh, definitely uh, not easily offended and uh, not politically correct. So uh, looking forward to that read. Also, if you want to, you can always hit uh, Chris up on Twitter. He is up there as Chris Aiken one So just the number one. And also, you know, goes without saying, head over to theclassicmetalshow.com. Because, you know, it is pretty much a no-brainer. If you are uh, digging Focus on Metal, then you will certainly have... Uh, great use in your life for classic metal show antics and uh you know give them a buzz give them a little hail and kill and uh, tell them that uh, scott and richie from focus on metal sent you on over and heads up on next week we will be having conversations with ken mary ken's been playing with uh, pretty much everybody but uh, these days he's also been doing his stuff with uh, flotsam and jetsam and fifth angel so we'll have ken on next week as well as uh jamie brown from uh, rat pack records artist roxanne back after 30 years of a silence from the band with uh, their first album from their new label, Rat Pack Records. Roxanne's back out with their uh, aptly titled Radio Silence. But for this week, that's it. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over.
go home.